Hey, welcome back. Um, week two of our panel discussion. Um, love to have you here again. Um, remember, this is for the high school students. Um, middle school, you have your own sort of uh, panel discussion with Aiden um, leading that one. So if you're in middle school, go to that one. But um, again, we're really uh, super happy to have you here again. We have Julie here and Leah and Gunnar um, who are here to to answer your questions that you gave us from that box um, that we've had out for the semester. Um, and let's go and get right into it. I'm gonna start off with a prayer here. So, Father God, I thank you again um, for uh, these students uh, that we can uh, wrestle with these questions as they've wrestled with these questions. Um, um, some of them are very, very good questions that we all often have to ask ourselves. So I. I thank you so much for their, their heart and passion to, to know things and grow in knowledge and grow close to you, Lord. I pray again for these leaders as they answer these questions, that they're able to speak um, through the spirit, um, that you give them the words um, and understanding um, so that each and every one of our students can, can get the most out of this as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. First question, icebreaker question. Uh, we're going to start with Julie. What is your favorite book in the Bible and why? Um, great question. I had to do some, a little bit of soul searching on this one a little bit. Um, okay, I chose Romans. Um, the reason I chose Romans is the, the building of community through the gospel um, and the teachings through the right and wrong, that God doesn't show favorites, that he loves us all. And there's just a strong underlying message of salvation throughout the book. Yeah, sure. Leah, what is your favorite book in the Bible and why? Funny enough, of all the books in the Bible, I also chose Romans. Um, so I kind of giggled when you answered that. Um, so for me, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Biblically, kind of similar to what Julie says, is I think there's just such a strong underlying message of salvation and um, God's love for us. And um, but another reason was as I thought about it from a personal perspective, um, it was a turning point for me when I did a Bible study um, with the Book of Romans. That it was a huge turning point in my in my faith um, and my journey of like growing closer to God. So, I mean, I chose it for a couple of reasons. A, because of obviously the content um, and the deep message within that whole book, um, but also because it just was one that um, A, made me want to like give me the desire to read more books of the Bible. Um, I had tried and failed with some other Bible studies prior to that. And for some reason, this one I was just able to connect with, and it may have been the people that I did it with, but um, I find myself referring back to it often, um, and it's just held such a pivotal place in, in my heart and in my journey, so. Yeah, no, Romans is an amazing book. I, I love Romans, so I've studied it a lot, so it's a good one. Gunnar, what's your uh, favorite book in the Bible and why? Lots of things you could say about lots of different books. Um, I think right now, I would say Mark is actually one of my favorite books. Um, and the thing I love about Mark is it's thought to be the earliest gospel account we have. So it's really, from what we have, it's the first stab at telling the story of Jesus. 
and there's such an urgency and energy to it that I really find it compelling and beautiful. And Mark is not an eloquent writer. Um, I have friends that have studied Greek and studied the, the New Testament in more detail than I have. And they will talk about how the Greek in Mark is not very good. It's kind of like if you were in high school and you were writing at an eighth grade level. So it's, it's that sort of thing of he's not very eloquent, but the story is carrying him um, because there's so much truth and meaning in it. And some of those stories, the way he tells things like blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road and Jesus calling him, there's some of my favorite stories in the gospels are just told so straightforwardly that you can't help but be moved by them. So I really like Mark. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like Mark a lot for the same sort of reasons um, and how like he doesn't really, you know, take the long road. He says, this is what it is. This is how it is. And this Here's is what, what you need to know. Let's exactly. And it you just kind of show he's writing to Gentiles, so he doesn't get into those like lots of theological sort of things. So I really, really like that. It's, it's awesome. So no, for sure. All right. So we're going to go into the various sort of categories like we did last time. Um, this one will have a few more difficult questions in it than before. We'll get into more theological questions. Uh, but again, we're going to start with a sort of personal life sort of questions um, and we're going to start with Julie. Um, how can I love myself better? Um, I think loving yourself better, myself better um, is one starting the day in a devotion and in prayer to help yourself set up for that day um, whether it's a difficult day ahead or a relaxing day ahead just to help set yourself up in God's love. Always remember that we're, our, we're children of God and God made us who we are and God wants us to love who we are and all of our imperfections and all of the things that we do right and do well and the things that we also do wrong and not so well. Um, so I think just loving yourself better is keeping yourself in the word taking care of yourself spiritually, taking care of yourself physically with exercise and movement and those things, taking care of yourself emotionally. If you have issues of some sort, if you're sad, um, earlier we talked about depression, to make sure that you're doing something about that. Um, if something is going wrong in any of those categories, to seek someone out. It's okay to have to seek people out to help you love yourself better if you're not quite sure how to get there yourself. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, one of the things that I learned in college, and this was actually in uh, kind of a, um, it was like a pastoral uh, class, just a pastoral leadership sort of class. And um, he had this kind of diagram chart and there's three areas in life and you mentioned them um, in order to take care of yourself, and that's spiritual health, mental health, and physical health. They're all important. Um, and if one is lacking, they're all going to lack. Um, you kind of used a figure of like each has its own fuel tank, um, and it needs all of all the fuel. Otherwise, you're just not going to function. So, um, no, I, I, I like the way you, you put that. I think that's spot on. So. Um, Leah. 
why is school a thing? <laughs> why is school a thing? Um, I can just about hear someone asking this question to high school students. Why is school a thing? <laughs> um, but seriously, school, I think it's hard to recognize the importance of it when you're um, currently in it in that age. But I can promise you that as an adult, as you get through it, you see so much more sense in like the bigger picture behind it all. I think that obviously the education, okay, where I think that we oftentimes forget how lucky we are as a nation to have education available to us. So as much as it seems like it's dreadful, like, oh man, I have to get up for school today. Um, but I think even during this quarantine time, it's maybe helped people recognize how much they really do appreciate it, but don't, it's not at the forefront of their appreciation every day because you get that social interaction and you get to be with your friends and you get to learn and you get this education that so many youth do not get throughout the world. Um, and so I just encourage students to kind of take a step back. And like I said, maybe during this quarantine, it has helped them realize like, um, you know, in an unfortunate situation, there are so many opportunities for us to find the light and find the good in it. Um, and I think that one of them being um, students recognition for how much they maybe do actually appreciate school. And once they've had to take a step back, they can recognize, you know, the, the good that it does bring, even though it may seem um, pointless when you're in it or overwhelming or stressful. Um, but how lucky we are to have it and to have a place to go, a safe place to go to learn. Um, so that's my encouraging thing is just that, you know, especially during this quarantine to um, just remember how fortunate we are to have the opportunity to get an education. Yeah, no, definitely not everybody has that same sort of opportunity. So I, I definitely get that. So we uh, remember in, in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom, knowledge and stature, while the knowledge part is the school part. So <laughs> we need to, to grow up that as well. So um, that's Luke 2.52. So um, the only account that we have of Jesus as a child. <laughs> so um, yeah, going on, Gunnar, personal life questions. How do you choose between your religion and your sexuality. My, my family says it is a sin, but can you do both? I'm really grateful for the student that asked this question because it's a very real question. Um, and I think it's a question that is good to ask in an anonymous panel, but it's also good to talk across the table from someone um, that you really trust and someone who you know is tight with Jesus because they're gonna hear you and they're gonna love you and they're gonna pray with you and it's gonna be really good. Um, as far as how I'd answer the question, I think it's a false choice. I think the idea of choosing between your sexuality and your religion implies that sexuality is something that is contrary to following God. And God, God made us as sexual beings. Sex is his design, it's his idea. That being said, God gives us things so that we can image him in the world and we can reflect who he is back to the world. And sometimes he's given us certain ways that he says, this is how I want you to bear my image in the world. And if we really care about loving him and imaging him, 
then we'll be concerned with properly imaging him in all that we do. Um, and I say that to any sort of sexuality. Um, I'm married, I have a wife, but the way I express my being a, a sexual being with my wife is just as important to God as any person who's single, any person who's gay, LGBTQ, wherever you are. God cares about your sexuality because he cares about you and he cares about the way that he's designed you in particular to image him into the world. As far as the exercise of sexuality, that's something that a lot of people have a lot of very strong opinions on. And I would really encourage the student, whoever they are, really get in the word on this. Find some believers that you trust and that you want to seek God with on this question, because it can be a journey of a question. It's not something that you're necessarily going to get an open and shut answer on right away. But no matter where you're at with it, I would encourage you to seek God, seek other believers, and seek God with those other believers. And be really open to saying, God, I don't want to choose between my sexuality and my faith. I want to image you through my sexuality and learn what that means to be an image bearer of Christ in the midst of that. Yeah. No, definitely. So you're saying, I mean, God loves us the way he, he loves us and he wants to know us and he, he wants us to be, you know, he made us after his image and he wants us to be that reflection of that image. Um, and I guess the, the big thing is kind of to very brief summary is he wants you to have faith in him. He wants you to have faith in Jesus and he wants you to come to him. So that's right. very brief. And I, <laughs> so. I, I think part of it too is that in the church, there's been a lack of awareness on this question, I think, and how heavily it weighs on a lot of people in our society. Um, and I don't think that excuses us as the body from addressing those questions head on and having conversations about them. So I'm not saying that scripture says anything goes. I'm saying that this is a serious and real question of what becomes a matter of identity for a lot of people. And first and foremost, I think we're called to image God, and that is our fundamental identity. And so if we're going to have any sort of conversation about our sexual identity, it needs to be within that context if we're really serious about following Jesus. Yeah, for sure. No, I like, I like your answer. Does anybody else have anything to add to that? What what Gunnar just said. Um, I think, I think Gunnar did an awesome job of answering that question and being in the image of God um, and in thinking about relationship um, with another person that that unity uh, that when you get married that unity is is being one and that should it be saved for that marriage time so that that actual act of sex is that place where you are giving yourselves to each other under the union that God has provided and the love that he has helped bring you to that relationship so just uh, i guess another just a different side of it yeah another perspective of just sexuality in general and kind of the mm -hmm. purpose i mean that question in general and that whole topic is one that um i think is one of the most difficult things to address with students because it needs to come from a reiteration of 
living in the image of God, but also not making someone feel unloved or like we don't love them for how they're choosing to live out their sexuality, I guess. So um, I can't choose. Yeah. I think, I think that you did a a really good job with that because it is something that can really bear some big emotions that go with it. Um, And so that's, especially with students at this age that they are, I think it's a very heavy and tough question. So. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not baiting praise on that. I, I wanted to, be purposeful about answering it in a way that I didn't predecide the issue because I think a lot of the times people will answer those sorts of questions and they open and shut. This is what the Bible says, sit down and be quiet about it. And I do not want to communicate that to the students because I think that's a, I don't think that's a biblical way to wrestle with that sort of thing. I think it is more of a community oriented, bring it to God. And maybe he's going to tell you something that I have no idea he's going to tell you. I'm going to go on to the next section or the next question here. Um, and I'm going to ask Leah this question. How can I strengthen my relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I think like many of the questions, um, this doesn't have one set answer. Um, I mean, there's the obvious, you know, you need to spend more time in the word. I think that one big thing is holding yourself accountable. Um, we all have the choice to prioritize our time in a day. Um, and what you choose to spend your time on really ultimately reflects on what you prioritize in your life. So if you're wanting to strengthen your relationship with God, you need to be, um, you know, spending more time in the word, what like in the Bible or like for me, I, a lot, like I love worshiping through music. And so I will every single day, um, start my morning with worship music amongst my daily Devo. Um, but I think there's many different ways. Like I think not everyone feels closest with God in a certain, you know, from the Bible or from music or from wherever, whatever it may be, being physically at church. Um, But I think there's just more to it than, uh, well, I'm at church on Sundays and at youth group on Wednesdays, but I don't feel connected with God. I think of it, I, through my experience in God class, was given the analogy one time of, if you only called your family member once a week, would you, would your relationship grow with them? Well, I'm only calling God once a week or spending time with him once a week, whether that be on a Sunday or a Wednesday, I can't expect my relationship to grow with him. So you need to just like any relationship with a physical human being on, on earth, um, you need to put in the time um, and hold yourself accountable with where your priorities lie. Um, I think it's very easy to get sucked into false idols being our phones, social media, Netflix, you know, whatever that may be. And none of those are inherently bad things, um, but we need to prioritize um, our relationship with Christ first. So in order to grow in it, you just need to more spend more time um, growing that like a plant. You have to water it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Relationships, you know, just like any relationship, it's a, it's a commitment and it's something that, you know, needs to be cultivated. Like what you said. So you need to, dedicate time to that. So I think that's a really, really good answer. So um, we're going to go on to Julie. This is more of a general sort of uh, life question. How do we know which religion is really the one true religion? Like Catholics, Lutherans, Baptists, or, or what? Um, it's scary not knowing. Hmm. 
uh, good question. Um, I think first of all, there are obviously many different religions. Um, personally, I was brought up in one of those traditional religions. Um, I went through the, the motions. I didn't really have a relationship with Christ. And I think that is not that I'm knocking the religion I was brought up in, but I didn't have, I wasn't encouraged as much to have a relationship until I became more in a Bible-based church. When I was challenged to have a relationship with Jesus and to grow that relationship um, through Bible study, through small group, um, looking inwardly at your own behaviors and do they reflect um, the image of God and the way the Ten Commandments want us to live. So true religion, I personally feel that that true religion was within your heart and the relationship with God. And then having a body of believers around you to help you support you, to help keep you accountable in that relationship and in continual growth. Yeah. Does anybody have anything to add to that? I thought it was interesting the way that question was worded because all of those are Christian denominations. Right, um, right, right. So if we're talking about religions in a broad sense, really anyone who call, who is in truth a Baptist Christian, a Lutheran Christian, a Catholic Christian, they are your brother or sister and you should welcome them as such. So there's a difference in practice and there's maybe a different on some theological points, maybe some of which are pretty significant. But anyone who would call themselves a Baptist, a Lutheran, or a Catholic, I hope would affirm that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And if you've got that, you're part of the same family, even if they practice a little differently than you do. Right. Yeah, I know. That was something I was going to make sure as well is like uh, there's a difference between the, the denominations within the church and different theologies within the church and then the other religions in the world. So um, I think all those answers kind of combined are, are good. And, you know, you uh, point out like, again, it kind of reiterates that it's a relationship with Jesus that makes it different, that makes Christianity different from everything else. So um, yeah, I think that kind of kind of brings it all together. I think it's a really, really good, so. Okay, we are going to move on to some more theological sort of questions, right? So these are going to be uh, kind of deeper meat theological questions, kind of learning about the functions of God um, and just general Bible knowledge. And I'm going to start with Leah. What did Jesus do before he was a human on earth? <laughs> um, this was one that I really had to refer to the Bible um, to get my answer. Um, and with the help of discussing this with some of you guys, um, you know, Genesis talks a little on this and also John, um, the first chapter of John. And I think it's a really hard thing to answer, but essentially, um, Jesus was the word of God before he was, became human on earth. Um, in John, they talk about how, um, Jesus was the word and then the word became life or and so that's a good spot to reference it. Um, I think that there is, as Chris mentioned, you know, around some of these questions that you can go back and forth on them 
over and over, but I think the general concept of that is that Jesus was the word of God. Yeah. Um, the beginning of, uh, yeah, the beginning of John, you know, Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word with it was with God and the word um, became flesh. Uh, and then if you look at that, um, John is writing in the context of creation and what was in the beginning of Genesis. And it's almost an exact mirror. And he's like, look, Jesus, he's saying Jesus is God and was God and always was with God and was directly involved in creation. So um, what, he, what did he do before? Well, he was God doing God things like what he is now. So yeah. Does anybody have anything else to add to that? Philippians 2 is another good resource on that. Sure. All right. So we're going to go on to, on to Gunner here. Um, another, this is going to be a like theological sort of based uh, question. Why did Jesus decide to save us? Short answer, I think, would be because he loves us. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Very personal. Um, Longer answer, I'd say, and for those of you who are with us, when we study John, you kind of see a lot in John, is Jesus is loving us, and he comes in obedience to the Father to show his love for the Father and to show us the Father's love for us. So a lot of it's a lot of love going on there, but the idea is that Jesus's ministry is both the means by which God shows us his love and brings us into relationship with himself. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, that is a pretty common thing in, in scriptures is going back to love and the way that God loves us. And, you know, that's the, the, the best answer. It's just God loves us. You know, that's why he does anything. He loves us and he loves being loved. <laughs> and he, he is love. So. And it seems a, trite. And I struggle with that sometimes is that seems like, like, oh yeah, God loves me. And it's, but really it just keeps coming back around to that. And that's something that I wrestle with sometimes is because I think, okay, yeah, but what's the next thing? And it's really, no, that's the bottom line. Anywhere you go, you're only going to come back there. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, we're going to move on to uh, some more sort of theological questions. We're going to go over to Julie. When will Jesus come back? Boy, if we knew, huh? Um <laughs> That's a really good question. I think it's one that a lot of people with a lot more theological knowledge and brain power have discussed over time. And we don't have an answer for when Jesus will come back. But we do know that when Jesus does come back, that our hearts need to be in the right place with God and our beliefs. And so that when Jesus does come, that we are in the right place with God so that we can go home with him. Yeah. No, we, we don't know when, when Jesus is coming back, but we do know that God says be ready in season and out of season because it could happen whenever. So just focus on me. And when it does happen, you're going to know it. <laughs> you know, so it's going to be very obvious is basically what, what scripture is saying. So. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. So, all right. I'm going to move over to Leah. 
if God is all-knowing, why did he create Lucifer? Um, well, I think that the main point of this is that, so God created everything good, right? And Lucifer wasn't created inherently bad. He wasn't, God didn't make him bad, but um, Lucifer had the decision to either follow God or, but he chose and decided that he was God instead. And so he wasn't, you know, created, like I said, inherently bad. God, everything that God created is good. And, you know, they say that throughout the whole Bible. But um, so I think it's not that he created him knowing, or well, I shouldn't say knowing, but he didn't create him bad from the start. Um, it was his decisions um, to consider himself the one true God rather than God himself. Yeah. No, uh, I think like common thing is God didn't create evil, but the absence of God or anything, anything that turns its back on God inevitably becomes evil. Just like the absence of light is dark. If God is light, if he's not there, there's going to be darkness. So does anybody have anything else to add to that or answer that they'd like to, to add? All right. Very cool. Um, we're going to move on to Gunner um, on this one. Again, another sort of theological sort of question. Why did Jesus kill all the pigs he sent the demons into? I had to go back to the passage on this one. And I was talking it through with someone actually, and they pointed out, well, Jesus isn't the one that kills the pigs. The, the demons are the ones that kill the pigs because they possess the pigs and then run into the water. So I think, I think the question in the passage, Jesus allows the demons to possess the pigs the pigs run into the water. So I don't really know why Jesus chose to allow that in that moment, maybe because I, I really don't know. It's, uh, it's a very unique story. And I think what it tells us is that Jesus has authority over the demons and demons are Yeah, no, uh, Jesus wasn't the one who kills the pigs. You know, you go into it, it's actually the demons that do it. The demons asked, basically just asked, can we go over there? And, you know, and he's like, fine, go over there. And then they did, and the pigs ran off a cliff. So it wasn't Jesus indirectly, but you're right. Um, in the end, it's Jesus who has, he has authority. So, yeah. Uh, we're going to go on to Julie, and this is going to be Julie's last question. Was the world made in seven or 24 hours, seven 24 hour days or seven God days since he is outside of time? Um, again, a question that is one to ponder that again, um, many people have pondered. When you think of all of that God did, um, I think it is more of God time. We don't know how long God time is, um, but we think of the seven days and that each was very intentional in the creation and in the order that it was made. And so that it was a process that was, was the perfect plan to start the beginnings of our earth. Um, 
So I think to literally say seven days and 24 hours, well, was that even a thought at that time when God created the earth? I don't think so. so feel free to jump in. <laughs> Do you want yeah, to add anybody else? That? <laughs> anybody else have anything to add? Yeah, no, I think um, we, we, part of the thing in scripture is it has to be uh, written in a way that we understand it. And I think that's part of it is um, seven days is something that we understand. Um, and even if it was seven literal days, it's something that God can do. You know, he's not outside of being able to do in exactly seven literal days. Um, so, but yeah, no, I think you're, uh, you know, whether it was seven literal days or seven God days, you know, and whatever that period of time is, um, God is capable and we know that God is perfect and able to do anything. So, um, for sure. Leah, last question. In the song, Reckless Love, why does he say he leaves the 99? Um, that's one of my favorite songs, first of all. <laughs> um, I think that's, this is something that can very easily be misinterpreted because if you just hear the lyrics without thinking about them, you hear, well, why does God leave people? Um, but once you actually take the time to delve into those lyrics a little bit, um, you get the understanding that God's willing to leave the crowd to pursue you, to pursue that one, because it's so important to him that he would leave the 99 to pursue a relationship with each of us individually. Um, and I think that's, like I said, something that can just easily get misinterpreted. Um, but it's a good reminder that he so loves us that he will make that effort to leave and come chase you. And he wants that, that personal, you know, intimate relationship with you. So I would say that yeah. that's probably in short, the best way to answer that. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, definitely. It's actually, uh, it comes directly from the Psalms. Um, and comes directly from him being the good shepherd. And if he has 99 sheep who are already with him, they're already there and they're already with him and they're already safe. There's one over there that he needs to go get back. He's going to say, all right, stay here. You're safe and with me. I have you, but I need to go save this guy over here. So I think that's a definitely good, good answer. So um, anybody else have anything to add to that one? All right. Uh, all right. This is our last question. And it goes to Gunner. <laughs> Gunner, what is the rapture? Rapture is a word used to describe what some Christians, not all Christians, but some Christians think will happen when Jesus comes back or at a certain point in the process of Jesus coming back. And I, we got these questions beforehand, so I cheated and have my Bible here to read the passage. It's from 1 Thessalonians 4 and starts in, let's see here, chapter 4, verse 15. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He says, For this we declare, we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's talking about those who have died, when they'll be raised. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
and then this is the verse where people sometimes call this the rapture, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that's a passage in one of Paul's letters where he's talking about what's going to be like when Jesus comes back. And some in the church, particularly in the 19th century, so in the 1800s and up to today, have read that as when Jesus comes back, there will be a literal sweeping away or sort of rapture of the Christians that are following God so that they will be with Jesus. Um, and some Christians think that this is something that Paul is talking about. Other Christians think, well, if we're going to be caught up with Jesus, it's actually so that we can welcome him as he comes to earth to take over, to take his kingdom um, in the new heavens and the new earth. So a lot of Christians have different views on it. Um, there's a lot of writing on it and there's a lot of speculation on it. Um, but as far as what it is, to, what it means, I would say it's the idea that when Jesus comes back or at some point in the process of him coming back, Christians will be taken up, maybe physically, maybe spiritually, to be with Christ in a certain special way when he comes back. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that's a, a good answer. It's uh, one of the biggest things that's uh, widely debated about among, among theologians. Um, as far as you know, and it, it deals with the second coming of Christ, which if, you know, Julie's answer from before, you know, when is Jesus coming back? We, we don't know. In fact, the Bible actually says nobody knows the day or the hour and how he comes back. Sort of the same thing. It talks a little bit more about it, uh, that than when, but it's still pretty, you know, widely speculated. Um, if there's one thing I was going to add to that, um, and this is more just kind of general knowledge and about uh, Thessalonians in general is you have first Thessalonians and then we have second Thessalonians, um, second Thessalonians. Yes. It's Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, but there was a letter in between. Um, and Paul talks about this, that the Thessalonians had received. That was a false letter. It was a, uh, a letter that was sent to them in the name of Paul and it made them think that they had missed the rapture. And so Paul goes and says, no, you did not miss the rapture. You're going to know when the second coming of Christ is going to happen. You're going to know when the rapture happens. So um, don't worry about that. Worry about your relationship with Jesus. Um, yeah. And so. I would just add that the word rapture actually doesn't appear in scripture. It's a concept right. that was developed by certain parts of the church. Not all of the church agrees that this is actually what the Bible is talking about in those passages. So you heard me read it. It's a little bit ambiguous. And so there's been some different interpretation on it. So believing in the rapture is not essential to being a Christian. It's just one perspective among many about what it's like when Jesus returns. I suppose I should qualify that they thought that they had missed the second coming of Christ there, <laughs> even, even the easier, uh, more clarity on that one. So, all right. Well, that's all the questions we have. Um, a round of applause for, for our, our, our panelists. And uh, we thank you so much again um, for, for taking your, your time out. Uh, again, if you have additional questions for any one of um, us, again, myself or Aiden or Eric, or any one of your leaders, or Julie, Leah, Gunner here, more than happy to, to answer um, your questions. Uh, 
and uh, we can't wait to see your wait to see your faces again. And thank you again for tuning in. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, again thank you for who you are. We thank you for the ability that we have to ask questions, the ability that we have to kind of wrestle with some of these life questions, wrestle with um, the way that you've revealed yourself in scripture as we come to understand you more. And we thank you for um, the way that you do reveal yourself, Lord. Uh, thank you again for these these leaders that they took the time out to to, to focus on you as they, as they love you and love their students. I thank you again for um, each and every one of the students that's, that's watching and every one of the students that's part of our, our group here at Timberwood Church. Thank you again, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.